confidence. How can we develop or possess rather a confidence that really lasts? And in doing some research for this, I came across a really interesting uh, piece of information about what women really want. I love an illustration I read years ago and I couldn't find it, so it's from memory. So this isn't to do with this, but there's a link. Because I read this years ago about what women really want and apparently it's like in, the, in your 20s and 30s, so if you imagine like early on, middle age, old age, okay, so, and I'm making this up. So early on, what women really want is really attractive guy who's very attentive and romantic. In the middle ages, got most of his own hair. Do you know what I mean? Older age doesn't scare small children. Do you know what I mean? And it's brilliant because it talks about what women really want in their 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s and how it kind of modifies over time, okay? But, But what I found when I was researching confidence is what women really want in a man, number one, is confidence. Apparently, that's what women want. Now, I don't know whether any women in this room say, yep, we agree with that, but apparently, that's what women really want. The problem with confidence, I don't know about you, but sometimes, don't you wake up and you've got confidence, and then other times you wake up and where's it gone? Or is it only me? Anyone, anyone recognise that? You just don't, it's elusive, isn't it? It's like sometimes you've got it and sometimes you haven't and you just don't quite know, how do I hold on to that? And the Apostle Paul, who we're thinking about over these few weeks, he wrote an incredible book called Philippians, but in another book, in another letter he wrote, he wrote this amazing phrase and here it is. So this is in 2 Corinthians. So we are always... Confident. How many of you are always confident? See, when I read that, I thought, oh, that's great for you, Paul. But all of a sudden, there was like a disconnect. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Now, there's something that Paul's saying there. He's saying, listen, we are always confident, even though we live our life in an area, in an environment where it's not as it should be or as it's going to be. So here, here we get the, the, the issue that Paul's talking about. What he's saying is that we live in this kind of experience. On the inside, deep down, I possess a confidence. And that's what we're going to open up and have a look at today. Now, when I thought about this, I thought, who would be always confident? I have to be honest, I'm not always confident, okay? And for people like me that speak on stages like this and in front of lots of people, people other people say... Oh, you're always confident. You always seem so confident. I'm not always so confident on the inside. I might look it on the outside, but on the inside, I'm not. In fact, in May this year, um, I got to speak. I was invited to speak at the Elim Leadership Conference, which is a brilliant honour. And it's in front of all of your peers and in a big hall. And probably, maybe that's once in your life that you'll do it type of thing. Okay, so I got to do that. And that was great. And it was a great honour. I wasn't particularly confident. I might have looked like it, but on the inside, I wasn't. In fact, I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with you this morning. Is that okay? I had three dreams in the, in the few days building up to that conference. My first dream was that I preached with no trousers on. My second dream was that as I was getting inspired and was really going for it, I said some words that wouldn't even be heard at a football match out loud on the microphone. My third dream was that as I got into it so much, with no trousers on, with saying some words that wouldn't even be heard at a football match, I lost the end of the stage, fell off the stage and fell into the laps of the national leadership team, one of whom is here in the the room this morning. They were the dreams which was an indicator that I wasn't feeling particularly confident. And yet Paul says, I'm always confident. So maybe he's talking about a different kind of confidence. 
Because for you and I, confidence is often more around an emotion, isn't it? That we feel confident or we don't feel confident. And so you can do something and you think, oh, I didn't feel confident about that. And other people can say, wow, that was amazing. Because what you're talking about is not confidence, you're talking about an emotion. And I don't think Paul is talking about an emotion. I think he's talking about something a lot deeper. Paul had none of what our culture would say you need for this kind of confidence. See, our culture says what women want, okay, is they want a guy who looks great, who's, who's on top of his game, who's loaded, who's got money, all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of confidence we want. Paul had none of that. Apparently, we don't really know what Paul looked like, but most historians say he didn't look like a lot. He's supposed to have had kind of a bit of a beak nose, a little bit kind of misshapen. He wasn't a looker. He didn't have a trophy wife. And for a lot of his life, he was in a prison. He didn't have loads of wealth. He didn't have all those things that our culture would say that will give you confidence. Confidence, the dictionary says, is the feeling or belief that one can put faith in something or someone. And I was really struggling to get a framework for this talk today, okay? And um, I'd done the research for it and everything, but I was really struggling. And so um, literally, like time was running out and you get that moment where you go, I've got to do it now. It's got to happen now. And it's a horrible feeling. Um, but I thought, right, I've got to do it now. But I thought, I can't. It's just not coming. So I got up early, got on my bike, headed out for a cycle. And as I was cycling around... God gave me just this whole thing, bang, 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 as a framework. And it sounds like a bit of a riddle as I'm going to go on and develop it for you. But I want to start. In other words, what Paul's talking about is a what or a who. Is your confidence in a what or in a who? And we're going to look at that in a moment. But before we do that, I want to mess with your head for a little bit. Is that okay? Whether it is or not, it's what I'm going to do. Okay? So I want to mess with your head for a little bit because our culture says confidence is king. If you have confidence, this is one that really winds me up, you can be whatever you want to be. Can I just say, that's rubbish. You can be whatever you want to be is such a cultural value, which is not only not true, it's not helpful. And not all, but much of our mental health anxiety, maybe, maybe there's a contributing factor where we've encouraged this whole kind of thing. You can be whatever you want to be. So then you get things like X Factor where somebody comes on who could be a really talented person, but they can't sing. Okay, they can't sing. Anyone ever seen that? Okay, and they can't sing. And the experts tell them they can't sing. But what do they do? They don't take the feedback because somebody has told them that they can sing and they can be whatever they want to be. And so they live their life deluded and not maybe discovering, in fact, the great thing that they could be. You see, our culture tells us that if you're confident enough, you can be whatever you want to be. Here's some interesting research written in the Harvard Business Review. A CEO and business professor had some surprising conclusions about self-confidence and leadership. He wrote this, There's no bigger cliche in business psychology than the idea that high self-confidence is the key to career success. It is time to debunk this myth. In fact, low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful. This is messing with your head. After many years of researching and consulting on talent... He said, I've come to the conclusion that self-confidence is only helpful when it's low. Sure, extremely low self-confidence is not helpful. It inhibits performance, inducing fear, worry and stress, which may drive people to give up sooner or later. But just low enough self-confidence helps you in the following three ways. 
Number one, lower self-confidence makes you pay attention to constructive feedback. In other words, you learn and grow because you're not so deluded that you think you've all got it together. Number two, lower self-confidence can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. Number three, lower self-confidence reduces chances of coming across as arrogant or deluded. Now, I believe all truth is God's truth. That's not our culture's truth. Our culture says the higher your self-confidence, the the more successful you'll be. I want to challenge that. The Apostle Paul used a really interesting phrase, which sounds like a Yoda phrase, okay? You know Yoda from Star Wars. Because he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's kind of like, when I am weak, then I am strong. What's that mean? It's like a riddle, isn't it? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I don't get that. No, 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 you need to be strong. Confidence is about strength. But Paul says, no, when I'm weak, then I am strong. And in my research for this, I came across a great book, which I bought and, and, and I'm reading at the moment, called Strong and Weak. It's written by a Christian author called Andy Crouch. And he talks in this book about two dynamics that need to be at work in our lives. And he calls them authority and vulnerability. So we're going to go to a diagram for a minute. So basically, if you imagine this to be a continuum, high authority and low authority, high vulnerability and low vulnerability. Now let me just unpack the words. Authority means like what our, a sense of like being sure, having skills, being capable, do you mean being able to lead and influence and interact? It's that kind of thing, all right? You, you'd, you'd see that in leaders and you'd say, yeah, you've got authority. That's great. And we should grow in that. Vulnerability, when he talks about vulnerability, he's not talking about what our culture thinks vulnerability is now, which is actually oversharing. Oversharing is not vulnerability. Vulnerability is the honesty and authenticity, but it's also the willingness to risk, the willingness to love and be loved, the ability to self-reflect, the ability to be emotionally intelligent, etc. Okay? What he says in the book is for us to really be the kind of people that God wants us to be, we need to grow in both. You see, Jesus was fully, what? Fully God authority. He had all authority. The Bible says, I've got all authority. And yet he was also fully man. As we looked at two weeks ago, he who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Even though he had it all, he became a servant. He was fully authoritative and fully vulnerable. He grew in authority and vulnerability. Paul said, when I'm weak, vulnerable, then I'm strong authority. Does it make sense? And what he says in the book is that there are four quadrants, okay, and this is how it looks. If you can go to the next one. And basically, if you are high in authority but low in vulnerability, you're likely to exploit people. This is the sad situation in our world of leadership right now. We've got people who have a lot of authority and so little vulnerability that their leadership is all about what they can do and how they can exploit people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus had all authority and yet he said, you know what, I'm going to flip it right on its side and I'm going to serve. I'm not come to be served, but I come to serve. He grew in authority and in vulnerability. When you are high in vulnerability but low in authority, you tend to suffer. You tend to suffer. When you are low in authority and low in vulnerability, you tend to withdraw. This is where a lot of our young people are caught right now. In a sense, they don't quite know who they are and they're low in authority and low in vulnerability and then you tend to withdraw and you hide in a room with an Xbox. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing of your life, 
you know what I mean? You're not engaging in the world, you're withdrawing. That's not where we're meant to be. Where we are meant to be as human beings is to flourish. Isn't that right? Where we're growing in authority and where we're growing in vulnerability. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter 3. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And here's where the riddle that God gave me when I was on my bike kind of came in. And what God said to me was this, is your confidence in a what or in a who? Is your confidence in a what or in a who? A what can be summarised by what I call your trophies. We've all got trophies. Trophies that, that we'd like to put in our cabinet and say, this is who I am. This is where my confidence is in. This is the kind of stuff that tells me who I am. And I thought I would share you some of my trophies this morning, all right? And I haven't got many. But here's one, my nationality. So that looks like a terrorist there, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? That is my passport with a number cut off, okay, because I'm not stupid. So that, that is, my, that is so, so for some of us, yep, our nationality, that can be our trophy. Maybe our family, okay? My mother, very proud of my mom and my dad. He's in heaven now. But that could be part of me as well. And then here's my son and getting married, okay, just three or four months ago. My trophy wife. I used that one in the first service. It didn't go down well, neither there. But this could be, this, the grand opening of the building. These could be some things that I say, this is what my comes, these are my trophies. Some more. This is Josh, my son, when we won the football competition many years ago and I was the manager. All right, it is the only time our team ever won a game. And I have to tell you, in the final, we were playing this huge bunch of guys, okay? Um, and they were, they were so, like, these guys, it was under 16s and these guys all had beers. Beer, okay? And our, our team was so poor. In the, in the dressing room, I went to them. This was my management speak. I've told you some of this before. This is literally what I said. Guys, you ain't got a prayer. Just enjoy it. That's it. Seriously, that was the motivation. And we won. And there's the trophy to prove it. And it's the only trophy that I've ever had anything to do with football. And I'm an Aston Villa supporter. So it means a lot more to me. Okay? So that's a trophy. Here's another one. My grade eight piano. Okay? Ooh, I know. Impressed. There you go. The next one. There's me speaking at Elim Leadership Conference with trousers on. Okay? Because in my dream, all right? So maybe I'd think that's something. And then... Meeting people, next one. So this is local MP, local bishop, and then going up the tree, me and the Archbishop of Canterbury. I love Rachel Photobomb in here. This is some of my friend of mine. Now, here's the thing. I could put those up and say, those are some of my trophies. The people I know, the place I was born, the family I have, the things I've done. And Paul comes into this, and Paul's going to say, you know, you could put all that up, I'll blow yours out of the water. So is your confidence in a what or in a who? If it's in a what, we're in trouble. Because there's always going to be somebody that's got better what's than you've got. And there's always going to be a moment where you're going to look at someone else's what's and think, I wish I had that. You don't know what I'm talking about. So your confidence is going to go up and down depending on how you view the what and how you view your own what's. So is your confidence in a what or in a who? If your confidence is in a who, who is the who? Now I'm talking like Dr. Zeus now. I know that. If your confidence is in a who, who is the who? And here's the thing. Paul says right from the word go in Philippians chapter 3. Hey, my confidence is in a who and it's not me. It's not me. Let's look. Let's look. 
Philippians chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. And then he says, watch out for those dogs. And he's talking about people, actually. These evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh, who won't go into all the background of that. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. I'll explain that in a moment. Carrying on. And who put, listen, no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. I've got a lot more watts than you've got. My trophy cabinet is overflowing with watts. And I don't put any confidence in any of that, is what he says. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's what he says. You see, our culture has redefined confidence. Confidence is is who or what you put your confidence in. Our culture says confidence is a belief in oneself and one's ability to succeed. Jane Fonda, who's a famous American actor, she said, I have a confidence about my life that comes from standing tall on my own two feet. And that's a cultural view that grips many of us in the church as well. And we, we, we want to believe in God and we want to put our faith in God, but we want confidence to stand on our own two feet. And I understand that, but there's something that we missed in this whole process. Paul says, if you want to bring your trophies out, okay, for your confidence, bring them all out. As soon as I bring mine out, you're going to be wiped out because I've got more than most. And this is what he goes on to say. Um, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, this is really important, okay? Circumcised on the eighth day. Now, we won't talk too much about circumcision because the men in the room are already feeling uncomfortable in this moment, okay? But circumcision on the eighth day is so important. This is an external sign of a covenant between God and the people of Israel. It's the sign that nobody else had, but they had it at the time. And it was like, we've got this sign. And he says, I've got that sign. So so, so that's one of the trophies. Then he says, of the people of Israel. That's the people chosen by God. But not only that, of the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin was the the youngest son of Jacob and and the son of the loved wife, Rebecca. And and it's like, and and it's the tribe where the first king of Israel came, Saul. So like, I've got a great heritage. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Okay, so it's like, I've got all that. And then he says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. An interesting thing was, he was trained by Gamaliel. It was like, he went to a red brick university. He went to Cambridge. That, that's kind of what he's saying. Okay, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was trained by the best. I sat at the feet of the best. So, so you can't do me on that one. And then, and then as for zeal, which is passion, I was persecuting the church. And in, and in his day, passion for your faith was a high value. We look at it now and we look at extremism and all of that. But in his day, passion to fight for his faith was a high value. As for righteousness based on the law. So as for doing what the law told me to do, faultless. So what he's doing is he's putting all these things up in his trophy cabinet and he says, my confidence is not in that. That's really important. My confidence is not in any of that. It's not in who I am in terms of where I was born. It's not in what tribe I'm from or what family I'm from. It's not in, in, in um, where I went to school or what university I, I went to. It's not for how passionate I am. It's not for all the stuff that I can do. It's none of that at all. And I think this is so interesting. And then he goes on to say in verse seven to nine, but whatever were gains to me, all that stuff, I now consider lost for the sake of, say it out loud, Christ. If it's a who, who is your who? Paul says, it's not me. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Go over. I consider them garbage. Wow. These are, these are the greatest things people could have. So whatever you imagine are the greatest things you could have in this world, that's the equivalent of Paul, okay? And Paul says, I consider it all Garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is really basic stuff, but if we don't get it, we can build a whole faith and a whole life on a faulty foundation. Paul says, I've got all this stuff that everybody in my world and culture says, if only I had that, then I'd be confident. I am confident, but I've not placed it on that. There is a who, and it's not me. It's not me. And I think what Paul says, and this is the phrase I felt God give me, one of them, it was this, it's not me, it's he. It's not me, it's he. And I'd love you to say that with me this morning. Would you do that? It's not me, it's he. And there's a reason why I want you to say it, and you're going to say it a few times this morning, because there's going to come moments in your life and my life where you hit something and your confidence gets shook, and then you need to remind yourself, hey, it's not me, it's he. It's not me, it's he. You see, every person has a choice in life. You get a choice of who or what you're going to put your faith, your trust, and your confidence in. Will it be a what or a who? And if it's a who, who is your who? Is it self or is it him? It's not me, Paul says, it's he. It could be me by the world's standards. It should be me by what you're all thinking, but it ain't me, it's he. This is so good. It reminds me of a, a story that Jesus told. Jesus was a master storyteller. What Jesus would often do with a story is he'd get two stories and he'd put them side by side and he would do a compare and contrast. One of the best ones is when he talks about these two guys who build houses. Remember that story? And it says, one guy builds a house on sand, and when the storms come, the house disappears. One guy builds a house on rock, good foundation, the storm comes, and the rock stands. So he says, so, so what he does is he compares and contrasts. And what he's saying is this, every single person builds a house. We all build a life. We all build a life. Every single person will face storms in their life. Hey, listen, if you don't have faith today, or if you're watching today and you don't have faith, you know, you're building a life right now on something or someone. And if we have faith, then we're building a life on something or someone. So we're all the same. We all build a life and we all face storms. But then the stories diverge. Only one stands. Because the one that builds on a solid foundation, that's the one that stands. And I can hear almost Jesus' words in what Paul's saying here. Because he's saying, listen, I could build my life on that, but I'm not going to, even though it looks amazing to everyone else. Because I'm going to choose to build my life on the only foundation that will stand the test of time, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Woo-hoo. And that's what Paul is saying. And what I want to do in the last few minutes I think I've been teaching up to this point. Now I want to preach for a little bit. Is that okay? And I want to say, why should my who be he? Why should your who be he? And if you're not a Christian this morning, and maybe you've never come to that point where you've made that decision to say, okay, everyone builds a life. I get that. Everyone's going to face storms. I get that. Only one house will stand. Whoa, I want to be that. 
If you've never come to that point where you've said to God, God, I want my house to stand. I want to build my life on you. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So I want to tell you five reasons why you should do that. But if you've already done that, I want to give you these five reasons as well. Because these things will inspire you, hopefully. They will remind you. Maybe some of them will equip you for what you're going through right now. So why should my who be he? Number one, it's he who makes me right with God. It's only he who makes me right with God. Paul says, it wasn't the circumcision. It wasn't going to Gamaliel's school. It wasn't knowing all the law. It wasn't being a Hebrew. It wasn't being from Benjamin. It was the work of Christ on the cross. Righteousness, the word righteousness literally means right standing with God. We only get right standing with God because of he, not me. Isn't that right? It's the difference between do and done. Paul was brought up in a religion and in a faith system that said, it's what you do that makes you right with God. But then Paul said, no, 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 Jesus came along. And it's what Jesus has done on the cross that makes us right with God. So I'm going to put my eggs in that basket because it's he who makes me right with God. Secondly, it's he who defeated death. You know, Paul's confidence is always in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's some controversy around the church worldwide now over some teaching from a guy that I respect a lot. And there's a lot of misunderstanding that people are getting into and where the guy is saying, and I think he's right, actually. So there you go, I'll nail my colours to the mass. We often think that our confidence as Christians is based in the book of the Bible. And of course, the Bible is truth and the Bible is God's word. But the, the early church, their confidence wasn't in a book. Their confidence was in an event. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's like Paul saying, listen, this guy, Jesus, he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. I think my money's on him. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? If somebody can predict and pull off their own death and resurrection, they're worth putting your confidence in. Isn't that right? And, and it's he who defeated death. And because he lives, we can possess a confidence that lasts. And so Paul sits in prison. And he says in Philippians 1, hey, for me to live is Christ. I'd love to live, but you know what? To die is gain. Because he's defeated death, so I'm a winner either way. So he can sit in prison with confidence because he has defeated death. Number three, it's he who is in me. That's why you're who should be he. It's he who is in me. The Bible, in another part of the Bible says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I want to say this to you, whatever you find yourself in right now, he who is in you is greater than that. So some of you are in stuff right now. Maybe at school or college, maybe you're in a situation, maybe you're in a bullying thing, maybe you're in a bad friendship deal. Maybe some of you are in a relationship difficulty. Maybe you are in a family challenge. Maybe you are in sickness. Maybe you are um, in a financial situation. Maybe you are in um, a work situation which is pressurising and condemning. And, and someone spoke to me after the first service how they felt like they were in this bottom fourth corner. Not absent, but beaten into the corner because of the work situation. My heart went out to them. Maybe you're feeling that that's what you're in. But Paul wants to say to you, and I believe God wants to say, but he who is in you is greater than what you're in. And whatever you're in right now, he who is in you is greater than that. So that's why you're who should be he. Because he who is in you is greater than what you find yourself in. Number four, it's he who is with me. I love this. We've talked about it already when, when, when Joseph was in the pit. 
The Bible said, but the Lord was with him. When Joseph, you know the Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, you know that guy uh, from, from the musical and from the film. When he was in the prison, the Bible said, but the Lord was with him. Then when he got to the palace, the Lord was with him. When the disciples were in a boat with Jesus and they went through a storm and Jesus was asleep and he woke up, uh, they woke him up and he calmed the storm and he said, why did you doubt? Why did you lose your confidence? He is with me. I'm in your boat. That's why you're who should be he, because he will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that good news? He who is in me is also he who is with me. Martin Luther, famous reformer in the 1500s, he wrote this, faith is a living, desiring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. John Ortberg's a great modern writer, he writes this, my main job is to live with deep contentment joy and confidence in my everyday experience of life in God. Everything else is job number two. I love that. And I get this so wrong. I don't know about you, but I get this so wrong. I think my job number one is to sort out my life, sort out my family, sort out the church. Do you know what I mean? Do this, do that. Actually, my job is to live in contentment, joy and confidence in who God is. Everything else is job number two. That's what it means to build a life on Him. And that's where we get that deep sense that Paul said, I'm always confident because I'm always in relationship, not with me, but with he. He who defeated death, he who makes me right with God, he who is in me and he who is with me. And then fifthly, it's he who is calling me forwards. And some of you need to hear these verses today. These are like the well-known verses for some of you in this chapter. You need to hear them today. God is gonna speak to some of you individually this morning, I believe, about where you are from, from these verses. So listen up. Here's what Paul says. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, I haven't arrived. I kind of have and I haven't. I've got this and I'm getting this. And, and, and he basically says, you know, I want to take hold of that which took hold of me. Again, it's a little bit Yoda-like. It's like, I want to grasp what's already grasped me. I want to grow in authority and vulnerability. I want to be that flourishing person. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. This is what you need to hear. Some of you need to hear this today. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And he says this beautiful phrase, I, I press on straining. And that word straining in the original language is like this picture here. It's like a guy who's running a race, who's straining to cross a line. And I want to say to you this morning, I believe God wants to say, whatever you've done or whatever has been done to you, He calls you forward. Forgetting what is behind. That doesn't mean that you don't ever remember it. It just means I'm not going to be held by it. I'm not going to be imprisoned by it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be held by that. I'm going to call, be called forward because he who defeated death, he who made me right with God, he who is in me, he who is with me is the same he who is calling me forwards. So how long are you going to stay in that situation, locked into your past where God in Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is calling you forwards? Paul says, I'm not. And Paul says, he's in, he writes this in a prison going nowhere, but says, I'm going everywhere. Because it's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. 
He says, I'm straining to, to, to win the prize, but he's locked up in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. So what do I do? How do I apply this? How do I possess a confidence that really lasts? I want to give you seven keys. No, I don't. I want to give you three magical mysteries. I don't want to do that. I want to just tell you one thing. The way that we get confidence that really lasts is one thing and one thing alone. And Paul says it. I want to know Christ. It's as simple as that. The way we will grow in confidence, the way we will possess a confidence that really lasts, not an emotion, because the emotions will go up and down. You'll get up some days and you still feel terrible. That's life. To have a deep confidence only comes when we know Christ. When we know Christ. Paul says it this way. Um, no, sorry, I'll read it from here. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And that word know is really, really important. Because we can know about Christ, but that's not what Paul's talking about. You saw me in the Archbishop of Canterbury, okay? He don't know me and I don't know him. I just grabbed him and said, let's do a selfie. And he went, you're weird. At the end of that, he didn't look like it at the time, but you could see. I don't know him. Like I could say I know the Queen, all right, because I know where she lives. I've watched The Crown. I know she likes corgis. And I know her grandson is a massive Aston Villa supporter. I could say I, know, oh, I don't know her. I know about her. That's not the word that Paul uses when he says, I want to know Christ. He uses a word in, in the Greek that in the Hebrew is used in the early chapters of Genesis when Adam knew Eve in sexual union. It's the Hebrew word yada, 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 okay? So what Paul is saying is that I want to yada Christ. I want to know Christ in union, in relationship, in intimacy. And the more we get to know Christ, not just know about him, but to know him, the deeper our sense of confidence will be in who he is. And Paul says, everything else around me can be crashing down and I don't know whether I'm gonna die here in this prison, but I'm always confident. I'm always confident because I know him. Isn't that amazing? Is anybody else like vaguely interested in that? I just think that's amazing. I want to know Christ. He says, I want to know him. I want to put all my eggs in this one basket. I want to plant my feet and build my life on this one foundation. I want to pursue this one goal and this one dream. And I want my confidence to be in one person and one person alone. And it's not me, it's he. It's not me. It's he. I want to invite the band back up. I want to say to some of you this morning, and maybe if you're watching or listening as well, if you've never, ever come to a point where you've said, Jesus, I want to know you, then you could do that today. You could do that. You, 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 could, you could choose to build your life on this one foundation. But you know, there are many of you in this room and watching and listening as well, and you've you already done that, and you, you know him. But, but my challenge to you is this. Do you know him as in know about him or used to know him or do you know him currently? Next weekend, we've got a friend coming uh, from another country to stay with us for the weekend and we haven't seen her for a long time so she'll be here next Sunday morning. She's a great friend and we'll pick up where we left off because that's what friendship does and that's great. But, but I, I, I don't think God wants us to have a relationship with him which is like an old friendship that we pick up from time to time. I think he wants it to be much more continual than that. So, so, so my challenge to you is, do you know him? And that can mean that sometimes maybe we've got to push past familiarity 
to know Him. Maybe we've got to push past disappointment. Maybe we've got to press in past apathy or indifference. Maybe we've allowed other things to come in to that relationship between us and between Him. And what I would like us to do is just like us to just be still for a moment. So maybe we could just close our eyes, guys. Is that okay? Try, if you can, just to ignore everybody else around you for a moment, okay? Because Paul, Paul in this thing doesn't say, we want to know Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. I want a confidence that's deep down, that's not emotional. It's not dependent on how great I'm feeling as I've got out of bed. But I want a confidence that's so deep because I know Christ. Paul says in, in other parts of the Bible, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know whom I've entrusted my life to. I don't just know about Him. He's not just an old friend that I see from time to time and we pick up where we left off. He's my life. Maybe this morning, you, you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, that's me. Maybe you've never said that to Him. Maybe you've never said to God, God, I want to know Christ. Jesus, I want to know you. You can do that today. We would love to talk to you about that afterwards. Come and talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce Him to you and help you with that. But for many of us, maybe this moment is just a moment where we can say, Lord, I've got a bit disconnected and I want to come back. Maybe I've been building my life on me and on what? And it's not me, it's He. I also think that there are many of us in this room and right now life is challenging for you and your confidence has been shaken and you find yourself in situations and you find yourself in storms and in difficulty and, and it's really hard for you to know that Jesus is here with you and we want to pray for you today and so if that's you I want to encourage you and invite you to stand as a way of saying, no, I'm going to stand. You know, the Bible says in another part of the Bible, do not throw away your confidence. Maybe some of you are in danger of throwing away your confidence because the circumstance is so challenging. But you're going to stand today to say, hey, I'm not going to throw away my confidence in Him. But maybe you, as you stand, we want to pray for you. So if that's you and you're being shaken right now, but you're saying, no, I want to know God. I want to know Christ in the middle of this. Thank you for doing that. I want to invite you to stand and we want to pray for you. You're in something now, but you, you want to know that He is in that boat with you. Is there any others you want to stand? Just say, hey, maybe you've been building that confidence on other stuff. You need to let that go. That could be taken away tomorrow. All of that could go. Paul had nothing in the prison, only what he took with him. And what he took with him was on the inside of him. And that's Jesus. And if you're sat down with someone standing, would you just open your eyes for a moment and maybe just, just reach your hand out and just you pray for them as I pray. Would you do that so that they know that they're not on their own? Just, just reach your hand out, touch them on the shoulder. Father, we thank you for these people standing right now. God, we pray whatever they're going through, Jesus, would you come close to them, we pray. God, some of these people standing are in something they've been in for a very long time. And, and it isn't moving and it isn't changing and it doesn't feel like anything's going on. But we're about to sing a line that says, when darkness seems to hide His face. Just because it seems to doesn't mean that it is. 
And Lord, I want to pray right now, every single person will know in these moments that you are with them. You are in their boat. You are in them. And he that is in them is greater than what they're in. So Jesus, I pray for a supernatural dose of confidence, not emotion, but confidence to hit them and surge through their bodies, through their heart, through their soul and through their mind. Would you keep them, the Bible says, in perfect peace, him whose mind is fixed on you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Should we stand together, guys? We're going to sing a hymn together, which has been sung for hundreds of years um, by people who, just like you and I, have maybe you know not had the technology we've had, not had you know the, the, the culture we've had, but have had the same issues, the same issues right through history. That's what's the Bible so amazing. And as we sing these incredible words of truth, don't just sing them as an old hymn. Sing them as truth for you. Grab a hold of some of these lines, okay? And I'd love to think that as we walk out of these doors in a few minutes, that we'd walk say, hey, do you know what? I don't know what I'm walking into, but I know who's in me. And so like Paul, I want to say, I'm always confident. Not in myself, no way. Not in my circumstances, but in Him, in He. Because it's not me, it's He. Should we say that together? It's not me, it's He.